There's a great song by Matthew West. It's called Do Something. Actually, I love this song because it says, if not us, then who? <laughs> That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to go out and do something. And I think sometimes the church is waiting for somebody else to do it. And God is saying, nope, I want you to do it. And it's we're in this place where we're asking God to, to, to heal and to, to move and to do this. And, and he's like, I've given you authority. You need to take your authority and you need to start doing stuff. So that's what this show is about. We are going to talk about You Are Called. And I'm here and I have a guest with me. Her name is Toni Imsen and she is awesome. She's an author. She has been a pastor. She is also an artist and she's an incredible, incredible person. And I've had the honor and the privilege of talking with her and I'm super excited to bring her on Touch by Prayer. So welcome to Touch by Prayer, Toni. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. This is, when we spoke, it was so funny because the Lord was like, okay, contact her. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so we we spoke for the first time. And when we spoke, we really didn't, we sort of were kind of bouncing around different ideas, right? Mm-hmm. And so we were kind of like, what should we talk about? And you have such a, a heart for helping people. You have such an apostolic and, and mothering heart that you just want to call people into who they've been created to be. So why don't you kind of talk about like how how you got this passion to um, to basically to be a leader? Well, I don't know that I necessarily necessarily had a passion to be a leader, but I think that I just said yes when he called. And I just, when doors opened, I walked through them, and that's pretty much how it came to happen. I didn't say to myself, oh, I'm an apostle, I'm a prophet, I'm just going to go and do stuff. It's not kind of how it happened, actually. <laughs> well, so let me ask you a question. How did, well, first of all, were you raised in this type of like understanding that, you know, we can lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Like, did you grow up this way or is this something that like kind of hits you later on in, in your life? No, I, I absolutely did not grow up in a Christian home whatsoever. I went to a Christian school and um, just because we lived in a bad neighborhood and that's where my mom wanted me to go to school. And so really it all started when I was five. Actually, we had chapel at the school that I went to, and during chapel, the, the preacher was talking about how, um, about Christ and who he was and what he did for us, and I remember being five, and suddenly I could see Jesus coming down, and he had chains on him, and he looked at me and he said, do you want to be responsible to carry these? And I said, no, those look heavy, and he said, good, because I carried them all for you. Do you want to know me? And I said, yes. And just then the preacher said, whoever would like to accept Jesus come forward. And I went forward. And even though I was five, I still remember it so clear. And I remember what he looked like. And it was first God encounter I ever had that I remember was that day. And so then moving forward quite a few years, because I didn't live in a Christian home, I I actually grew up in a home, and there was domestic violence and alcoholism in that home. And so I didn't really know who Christ was completely. Even though I knew what we learned in school, that was about the extent of it. But when I was in high school, I found myself really hurting and really broken and drinking and experimenting and all those things that kids who don't have direction do. 
and I got myself into some trouble, and I told Jesus, I still prayed every night, and I said, Jesus, if you just get me out of this, I I will follow you, and he did, and um, I went through a lot of years of not keeping that promise because I didn't know how, really, and then some years went by, and I was in trouble again, and I remembered that prayer, and I said, God, if you just get me out of this, and he said, okay, I want you to move out, because at the time, I was living with my boyfriend, and I packed up my stuff one weekend and moved out, and um, went to church that weekend, and the second I walked into church, it was a vineyard church, and I started shaking, like crazy shaking, and it wasn't deliverance, it was Holy Spirit moving in on my body and my soul, so much so that a woman came up to me, and she's like, I see you struggling, honey. <laughs> And and I, and I couldn't even talk, and I nodded yes, and she said, could I pray for you? And I said yes, nodding, not being able to talk. And then she said, do you know Jesus? And I nodded yes, because I did. And uh, she said, okay. And so she prayed over me. I shook the whole time. I left church that day. I went home, and I cleaned out my whole apartment of stuff that I shouldn't have. And my life changed from then on, and I never have backslidden. That was 27 years ago. Somewhere around there. Wow. The, there the, you have it. The shaking I can so relate to because one time I shook under the power of the Holy Spirit and I was shaking so hard that I kept saying, Lord, make it stop. And he said, do you trust me? And I said, I'm going to throw up. He said, you're not going to throw up. Do you trust me? <laughs> I'm like, Lord, please make it stop. I'm going to throw up. He goes, you're not going to throw up. He goes, do you trust me? And I said, Lord, please, please, I'm going to throw up. Make it stop. And it was the third time that he said, do you trust me? And I said, just do what you got to do. And as soon as I said that, it stopped. As soon as I said it, because he really knew I trusted him. And that was it. And I think that was pretty much the last time that I shook that. I mean, it was a violent shaking. It was like, I was bent over. I was like, and my stomach, I really thought I was going to puke. I was like, this is not fun. I know that shake. <laughs> yes. But, and you know, it's interesting. Cause I, I did, I read, I guess it was in, um, somebody's book. Um, I want to say it was Benny Johnson's book, but, um, they were talking about, I think they were talking about shaking and it was, it actually is just getting free. It's just, it's, it's that stuff that needs to be, you know, it's like that, that shaking that when you shake out a blanket to get that stuff out, cause there's stuff yes. that you just can't see. And it, and it, like you said, it's not so much deliverance, but it is a part of the cleansing process. And that's exactly what it felt like. I felt like I was being cleansed from the inside out mm -hmm. and really it's those kind of encounters that have sustained my faith in a lot of ways. And people can say that that's weird or whatever, but you know what, when you have a God encounter and everything in your life changes, you don't drink anymore. You don't do drugs anymore. You don't sleep around anymore. You don't, and you have no desire to either. Yeah. It all washed away in a moment. And I think that's the, that's the important part to remember is that there was something so tangible that happened that you couldn't dismiss it, nor could you go back. You couldn't go back to the way it was before the encounter. 
And that's why I always, I always pray. I say, Lord, I go, let, I want people to have God encounters. I I don't want to just pray for people. I want people to have God encounters. And if they don't have a God encounter, because I don't believe people change at church. I believe the changing happens when there's a God encounter. Now, a God encounter can happen at church, but as long as it's a God encounter. Do you agree? Absolutely. I think that it's the God encounters that really, like when you start to question and then you think, yeah, but that one time I remember, and it's almost like you have to purposefully say, I remember that. I've seen too much to go the other way. Right. I've seen God felt him. He changed my heart, my mind, things that I was stubborn about just fell away. And There's I, no other way to describe that. And, you know, what's interesting is because we're talking about being called, you know, here you are, you know, you, you said, Lord, if you get me out of this, <laughs> I'll serve yeah. you. And I, I actually had another person on my show who was actually a drug dealer and he was getting arrested and he was sitting on like 30 kilos of like, um, of, of, um, marijuana. I mean like so much, like, like he's going away for like ever. And he said, if you get me out of this. You know, I will serve you all the days of my life. But, but he had to say that a couple of times. But see, God is so faithful because he knows that he has you. And he knew I couldn't keep that promise initially because I didn't know how to keep it. My mm-hmm. heart wanted to because I was so desperate for something and someone to say to me, I love you. And that, whoa, getting a little <laughs> choked up thinking about that. I remember being in my apartment by myself. I lived alone after I'd moved out of my boyfriend's apartment for about a year. And I remember at one point just feeling so lonely, like nobody understood me. Because even though I went to a church and it was a lovely church, I felt in some ways that I wasn't understood, only because so many of them had grown up in the church and were in college and lived at home. And I had been out on my own since I was 18 and struggling. And I had seen a little too much of the world, I must say. And uh, I felt like I didn't fit in completely, but I remember one night just feeling like that, just hardcore, and he, I like heard that audible voice, I love you, and I could feel him touch my hand while I heard that, and I'm like, okay, this is just, am I crazy? <laughs> I thought it. Am I just nuts right now? Mm-hmm. But those are the things that brought me to the next level because there was a lot of healing that needed to take place in those years. And I don't think if he had not wooed me in that way and led me to a place of trusting him with it, I wouldn't have sustained what happened. Well, and that's the whole thing is that, you know, you you were hurt because the people, you know, who hurt you were hurt. I mean, the you know, the whole, Absolutely. you know, phrase hurt people hurt people. So, you know, everybody's walking around with these hurts and this baggage and this stuff. And so we we can't understand the love of the father because you know we're not able to see him with our eyes well some do some you know um there there have been moments you know that you people have have seen the awesomeness of the father and it's a bright light that's that's the best way I can describe it because that's what I saw you know that I was in his presence and and the when I first got filled with the holy spirit when I closed my eyes that night when I went to bed I was in a dark pitch black room, the TV wasn't even on. And I would close my eyes and I was staring into the sun and then I would open my eyes and I was in pitch black. And then I would close my eyes and I'm staring into the sun. I was like, wait a second, this is, this is backwards. It's supposed to be, I close my eyes and I see dark, not that I'm seeing light, 
but because the father just invaded me in such a, a, a way that I, I actually slept in his presence that whole night. And it, and it was just that I just got lulled to sleep in his presence. And it was, it, it just, like you said, Tony, like you just, you, when you have that experience, you, you can't go back. And the first thing you think of is, yes, I, I think I'm, I'm crazy. But then you start meeting other wonderful people who have had similar circumstances and similar experiences. And you go, oh, wait a second, maybe not so much. No, and this was the journey I was on because, to be honest, I, I had a stepfather, and he was abusive. And so, and then I had my natural father who wasn't in the picture just due to different circumstances. And so, really, I had a double whammy. I had abuse and abandonment. And those were really big inner healing issues that really he dealt with in the very beginning because I needed to have an understanding of who he was. And I didn't even have that basic understanding of what a father really looks like. And so those were the things that he worked on early on. And and he put men in my life that were so godly, and they were mentors, and they loved, and there was no weirdness about it. It was just compassion and kindness and gentleness and respect that i never known before. And so God was really working through those people in our lives. My husband, the one I was living with at the time, my boyfriend is now my husband. We've been married for 26 years. He had a serious God encounter um, a few months after that. And he had a similar situation, grew up with a difficult stepfather, and then his natural father was a heroin addict and was in prison most of his life. And so he had similar double whammy, (laughs) abuse and abandonment. And so the Lord really worked on both of us in those early years because we started having children right away. And guess what? When you don't have that in you, you don't have it to distribute either. Right. And so those were like key things early on that families just adopted us and brought us in and said, oh, come to our home. Let's have dinner together. You know, um, I had a pre-marriage pregnancy situation, and those families loved us no matter what. Well, and, and that's, that's, I believe that's so important, you know, because that's where you're seeing, that's really where you see the love of, of God is through, you know, people who support you through your mistakes. Yes. Because and there were some that were harsh. We're like, you're sinning. You shouldn't do that. Blah, blah, blah. And we're like, okay, yeah. <laughs> ease up. We've been believers for three months. What right. do you want right. from us? And, uh, but you know, there were the ones that were so kind and just said, you know what, let us help you. Let us love your baby. Let us have a baby shower for you. Let us, um, help. Mm. Let us make you dinner. Let, we never had that before. We're like, really, you're going to bring us food for a whole week. Awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. The simple things that we look Mm -hmm. at now and think, well, that's normal. Well, it's not normal for everyone. No. So for us, those kind of nurturing encounters really demonstrated the love of the father to us. And, and he just used ordinary people. He, yes. It wasn't like a supernatural experience where the heavens parted and, and uh, you know, Beef Wellington came down and sat at your table, you know. <laughs> but at the same time, that group of people taught us how to pray for the sick, mm. like right off the bat, like, okay, this is what we do. And even with us and our curiosity, sometimes we'd read the Bible and say, hey, when are we going to start doing this stuff? 
Yeah. When are we going to see blind people healed? And they're all, well, you know, you need some training, and it takes time. And we're like, um, what, what training did the disciples have? They just did it. So there was part of that, too, where we were just raw, curious people. It's kind of like, you know, sometimes church people get so involved in church that when you get people like us come in who are totally unchurched, yes. it's kind of like starting over. Like, how do we deal with these people? Well, you know, it, it that's such a, a beautiful um, way to see it is that sometimes if you're in church too much, like you can become, you put yourself, I just wrote something about being in the box. And it was like, we put ourselves in the box. We think that we put God in the box. But what God showed me is, no, 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 I'm out of the box. You're in the box. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Completely. Yeah. I've never been in the box. We keep thinking that it's, it's that we put God in a box. No, no, no. We put ourselves in the box. I don't think he's capable of being put in a box. No, no. We put us in there. That's right. And and so when he, when he showed me that, I was like, huh, wait a second. Because it, it, it really kind of made me say, wait a second, just like you said, well, where did, where did the training come from? Well, you know, the disciples followed Jesus and they just saw what he did and they just did the same thing. But after the resurrection, that's when they got their authority. That's when they started to hear. That's when they started to see because the Holy Spirit now was in them. So that's where I think that transition changed, where that the shadow of Peter could actually heal people as he would walk by because of the authority, because the sun was shining upon him. It's just like in the, in the scripture, which says, may the, may the uh, face of the Lord shine upon you. So it's the glory in the glory healing happens and the glory deliverance happens because that's when, when the glory hits the room, as you probably can share stories about mm-hmm. every, like all bets are off because <laughs> you don't know what's going to happen, but glory has entered the building. Everybody buckle up because it's going to get crazy in here. <laughs> and it needs to get crazy in here. Absolutely. It does. But see, that's the thing. It's that some, I, I think because of our limitations and because God is, he is such a respecter of us and he just, he doesn't push himself on us. But I will say that he does like, cause I, I don't know about you, Tony, but I, he, he will nudge me little sometimes to, to step out onto the water. You know, it's not like just come. It's more like, come on, come on. You, you and this is where we this is where we get back to this leadership conversation because it was never like, oh, I want to sign up to be a leader. Mm-hmm. It wasn't that. It was those little nudges because in the very beginning, he would come upon me. That shaking thing would mm-hmm. reoccur. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'd be in a room and suddenly I'd feel no one could see it from the outside, but on the inside I was shaking and trembling like mm-hmm. crazy. Like, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I'm thinking, can people see this? But they couldn't, and then suddenly it would get really bad, and I would just have to say whatever it was that was on my mind. And one of those men that nurtured us in the early days, I remember sitting in a group, and um, we were praying, and he's look, he looked at me, and he goes, what are you thinking right now? And I'm like, what? Nothing. And he goes, yeah, you are. He said, you are hearing something from the Lord right now share it. And I'm like, uh, because I had all these issues too. First of all, I'm an introvert. And then the years of abuse caused me to be quiet. And I, and I'm like, what? He goes, just say it. And I'm like, whispering to him, what if it sounds stupid? And he's like, it, 
it probably won't let us let us try that. Let us see if it's stupid. And so I'm like, okay, this is what I'm hearing. And then I said what I heard, and then everybody, like, falls down and starts crying or laughing or whatever. And I'm like, what did I do? Wow. Did I do something wrong? And he was like, what were you, what were you seeing? And I said, well, I see it like a scroll. And I described it at the time. It's like CNN. I said, you know how CNN has that little ticker tape on the bottom, and, and it has messages on it? And he goes, yeah. I said, it looks like that, only it's neon and it's in cursive. He's like, well, read some more. And so I did. I clicked into, like, intellect mode and just read it, and it was the word of the Lord. And that's how he started doing it early on, but it was those little nudges of, like, you know, when he was calling me in two places of leadership, I would have, like, a literal, you know, that thing when you're pregnant, and it's called quickening when the baby first moves? Mm -hmm. I would feel that in the pit of my stomach. And I'd be like, what was that? And I'd have to ask him. And he, this is funny how the Lord speaks to me, too. He'll ask me questions. He's like, I don't know. What was it? <laughs> oh, that's so funny. It's that's kind so of funny. Playful. Yes. Yeah. And it just, it, it was really listening to those little nudges and following through. And then sometimes, you know, people would get ticked off. Well, why did she get to be the leader of this group? What did she, she said yes. when crickets were chirping that girl said yes she said yes to cleaning toilets she said yes to letting babies throw up on her in first service she said you know what i'm saying yeah the little things and really it was just saying yes when god said will you do this for me and i'm like okay well and that's look at me like that how could i say no But that's the beautiful part of it because it says scripturally, it says to, you know, to whom I, if if he gives us little and he can trust us in a little, he's going to give us the more. And that is, I can't tell you how true it was because it was little tiny things that he would ask me to do. And then this is how it was early on too. And sometimes I'd say, no, I'm like, I don't want to do that. (laughs) And then I'd be up at night thinking, why did I say no to that? I should have totally said yes to that. And I didn't like that feeling of missing it because there was this picture I had in my head of a window floating by, you know, kind of like in the Wizard of Oz when when the tornado is happening and things are floating Mm -hmm. by her. Yep. (laughs) I picture a window flying by me or like as it's passing, it shuts. And I'm like, oh, gee, what was in that window? I don't want to miss that window. That's good. That's really good. But I think people are probably like, what is she talking about? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, that's, that's the opportunity. But see what you, I think when you start to spend time with the father and you start to listen to his voice and to go where he tells you to go, you see the bigger picture that it's not about you, but it's about the person. And he's really been talking to be about being like delivering the message because these encounters where even like you took care of babies who were throwing up, you know, you were, you were giving a model for people of humility. You were giving a model of obedience. You were giving a model of love and compassion. And he was also give, he was also teaching you to deal with the difficulty and to love through it, which is because, you know, coming from, from a home that's abusive, it's very hard because if you make a mistake, you get beat quite honestly. Yeah, that's what happens. You know, if you throw up, oh boy, you're in trouble. You know, I made, I made a mistake in my home. It wasn't so much that I was physically abused or would get beat for not doing things. Although some people Mm -hmm. have that experience. Mine was more 
my environment created perfectionism. And so for me to make a mistake was like, because <gasps> everything had to be perfect, you know, yeah. or, or there's a consequence to that, whether it be, you know, isolation or it be just loneliness or just being punished for being, you know, talking too much or whatever it could be. Um, I felt this perfectionism growing, and that's one of the things I had to deal with when I came to Christ also was the perfectionism. I'm not perfect. I, what? I'm not perfect? Are you kidding? <laughs> and that's the, those are the things that can keep us sometimes, which we don't even see. Like People don't think of perfectionism as something that's debilitating. But if you really study what it is, you would start to see like, oh my gosh, like people who have that OCD who have to have things in a certain way because of the anxiety, because of what it does to them internally. It's not so much that they make a mistake, but it's what it does to you internally when you make the mistake that you well, start you beating yourself frozen. up. Yeah. You become frozen and you don't finish anything. And this was one of the things too, and you mentioned my art earlier um, when we were speaking. I am an artist and I do create different kind of art pieces and I'd write and I do a lot of things. But probably about 10 years ago, I was sitting in a meeting, and um, I was on the leadership team of a ministry at that time, but it was kind of like a back, kind of a, um, just kind of in the background. And I was, they invited me to this meeting, and I was sitting in there listening to the team members, and it was one of those meetings, it's like a planning meeting, a strategy meeting. And I'm sitting there, and the leader has these giant post-it notes, you know, they're like two feet wide and three feet tall or whatever, and he was writing different things that he wanted to input into the ministry or whatever. And he draws, he writes down the word art, and then I'm sitting right in front of this board, and I go, like I could feel myself kind of like draw my breath in, like, but it, nobody else heard it. I felt it, and, um, and my eyes started to water. And there was probably about 15 people in that room, and the leader looks at me, and he and I don't even know how he noticed me because he was yakking, and other people were talking or whatever. And he goes, "Tony, it was another one of those moments. What are you thinking right now?" <laughs> it's so funny. And I'm like, uh, and I burst into tears, and I said, "I'm supposed to be an artist, and the church killed it." I just said it like that, like I just blurted it out, and he's like, "What?" And I go. I, my creativity has died and I let it happen. And he's like, honey, who took your crayons away from you? <laughs> it was one of those moments. It was like a prophetic thing, you know, not like literally someone took my crayons away from me, but he's like, I see in the spirit that someone took away your, your crayons and your way of creating. And that's why your creativity died. Wow. And I'm like, yes. And this, you know, this this group of people is like 10 years younger than me, even the leader, 10 years younger than me. And he, so it was a weird situation. And I'm like, I'm having one of those moments where I'm like bleeding on everyone. <laughs> like, I did not plan for this to happen. But it was a Holy Spirit move saying, you are still this person, and I haven't forgot about the artist in you. See, you I, know? that's that's another part of, of the Father that I love is the stuff that he doesn't forget that he, he put something inside of us when we were kids and he, he put these little destinies in that I, like you and our, you have an artistic ability and you have a writing ability. 
and you have a theater ability or a speaking ability, you have a singing ability. These are the things that are, are placed inside of us as children. And then somebody comes along and squashes it. That's basically what they do. They step on it just like a great big tomato. And in that process, there's like such a, we, we can start to believe, you know, at first we'll fight it, but eventually we'll, we'll succumb to it because it's usually a person of authority. And so what yeah. happens is that part of us, it, it, it just gets squashed so bad that we, I don't think we ever fully recover. And, and we don't even think about going back to it because we know that it's mush. We know that we it's gone. We don't even know it's missing. I didn't even realize. And then I was thinking back. I'm like, where did that come from? And why did I say the church killed it? And I was thinking about it. It just like came out. And I'm like, that was really bizarre. But I was thinking about it later. And I'm like, you know what? They didn't do it on purpose. And it was like when I when I got saved and I was actually working as a graphic designer at age 18 and still was at this point. I was 21. And I remember getting saved and coming into the church. And it seemed like all the women in there were super traditional and very – like you go to their houses and everything's decorated in florals and doilies or whatever. My house, she comes to my house, it's black and white, and I've got art pieces everywhere, and I've got – you know what I mean? I'm just very different from the women in there that, and women that I've loved and respect and still know that I just, I admire these women that I've known all these years. It's funny, all their kids are grown now. I'm like, I remember when you were a toddler and throwing up on me in children's ministry. But I was different, and part of me wanted to fit in, and plus I still had, you know, I started having children, and so a part of me got set aside because you start raising your own kids. You put all your own um, hopes and dreams aside in some ways. At least a lot of young women I know do that. And now looking back, what a tragedy <laughs> that those things were set aside. Because really, that is part of the Father working through me in the way that he created me to be. And so I had to really do a lot of heart examination, like why did I set this aside and why were other things more important than being who I am? Why wasn't I good enough to be who I was, you know? Yeah. And there had to do a lot of inner healing had to take place in those years to like straighten that out. So now art just flows out. <laughs> and, and beautiful pieces, I might add. Because I've definitely, if you actually go to her website, you can see some of her stuff, which is uh, com. correct? Yes. Okay. And you can check out her artwork. But what, is, what, I, what I love about what you just said is that you didn't even realize it was missing. No. That, to me, is, that's the tragedy of it, is that sometimes something so hurtful or or something that we love can be just kind of stolen from us. We don't even miss it anymore. Yeah. And if you just slowly start like letting it go, it's like you let somebody take it. Well, you let the enemy steal it or to say it's not good or whatever. And don't, because you just feel like you don't have any other defenses and you don't really think about it. I was distracted with other things, you know? Right. And, you know, uh, it's, it's funny because since I've been a kid, I always wanted to, you know, I always wanted to be in entertainment or on television or like in, you know, something, something like that. 
And um, I actually went to Voice of the Prophet back in 2013. And at Voice of the Prophet, Larry Randolph was there. And he was, I love he, him. isn't he awesome? He's so awesome. He is. So if you guys have never checked out Larry Randolph, Google him, find his website. He's super fun. He's super prophetic. And he's just, oh, he has such a heart. But what was so cool is he was talking about how he wanted to be a musician. But, you know, everybody said he wasn't that good or whatever. But that's what he felt his calling was, to be a musician. And he said, so today, he said, I am going to pray for people because maybe the church told you you weren't good enough or your family told you you weren't good enough. He goes, so I'm here to, to set you back into the path of who you were created to be. So if there's something that you are not doing that you want to do, I'm going to give you permission. So stand up. So I stood up. And he got to me and uh, he said, what's your name? I said, Lisa. And he said, Lisa, what do you want to do? And I said, I want to be on TV. He goes, "Uh, can you be more specific? I said, I want to have a talk show. Well, we started Touch by Prayer the following January of 2014. Wow. And it was my husband who said it. My husband said, I think we're supposed to do an internet radio show. Wow. But I didn't even think about it until I think it was like the end of like towards the end of last year. I went, oh, my gosh, I just realized. It. <laughs> but oh he, but he but see, that's the thing. You got permission. Yeah, mm-hmm. because I think that's so important for people to give people permission, especially in leadership, give people permission to be everything that they've been called to be. You love to do art. Be an artist. Go and explore, go get dirty, go do whatever you want to do, you know, experiment. And I, I think that that freedom, that release brings joy and it, and literally brings freedom because that you can see it in your paintings, Tony, or without paintings, but they're actually, well, was there a painting? Have you done paintings? I do. I do have paintings. They're mixed media. So they have different like paper crafting stuff on them. Sometimes they'll have pieces of different things on stuff that I cut out and paste on and it's I mean it's really beautiful I saw the thing that you're working on with the tree it's like your Mm -hmm. family tree and it's it's just gorgeous it's gonna be a while before that one's done it's big wow but but yes I so you so you were it's so you were you were given permission basically to release this creativity in that particular meeting that guy grabbed some crayons and he took my hand, he put him in my hand, and he said, I give you permission again to create. And that was pretty much the prayer. (laughs) It was a a prophetic act. And ever since then, I dream about it. I I mean, I don't always have the time that I need to execute what's in my head. Mm -hmm. But um, start somewhere. You have to start somewhere. Well, I think that the unlocking of dreams is so important. Because yes. it's the dreams that give us the fuel to live out our destinies. Because our, our dreams are part of our destiny. So it's yes, like if, if that's locked, then what else is locked up? So as you unlock it and release it, everything else flows from it. Yeah, and what I've been telling people for years about dreams is you can't treat them like junk mail. Either the literal dream that you have at night or that aspiration of doing something or, or walking out your destiny, that kind of dream, we can't treat those like junk mail. We can't just set them aside for another day because the truth is another day will never come until you embrace them. 
That's right. And treat them like official documents. Well, and that's that's part of the thing that you get. Like you were you were reading, you know, basically kind of scrolls from heaven and and releasing words. And there's also a release. Like you can have a release in art. There there are people who do artwork that has people can get free from it. They can get free from things just from looking at their artwork. There this pe- is the crazy thing about the art pieces is I just started. Actually, they are prophetic words that I put on a canvas. I have one in my office, and it is up on my website, and I think if you scroll through my cover photos, it's in there. But it's one of a pregnant woman. She has a green dress on. And you have to really look at it closely, but this was a prophetic word that I had. And it was, I was in the prayer room. I used to be the leader of a prayer room here in Southern California. And I would did a lot of laying on the ground and praying, <laughs> worship and prayer, five mm-hmm. years. Um, you get a lot of revelation when you're doing that. So... So I was laying on the prayer room floor one day, and I had I heard it, and I saw it in my head. I saw a pregnant woman, and the word was, for ideas to be born, you have to imagine incessantly, dream dramatically, embrace emphatically, act abundantly, and strategize specifically. That, that, it's an acronym, I-D-E-A-S, ideas. Oh, that's so and, good. And that's how they're born. And it's got, you know, musical notes and keys and tickets and sailboats and bicycles and a car. It's got all these different little symbolic things in there. But that's how the word came. So anyway, we hung out up in the prayer room. I'm like, oh, let's just hang this up out here. Not really, like, planning on purpose. People will walk in and stand there and look at it and start bawling. One girl I went up to, and I'm like, can I help you? Are you okay? And she goes, I can't believe this painting. And I'm like, what? She said, what it says, I have all these ideas, but I feel like they're trapped inside of me. But when I look at your painting, I realize that I'm pregnant with them, and they're just waiting to be born. And I have to do something about it now because I'm wasting my time. And I'm like, okay, all righty. And I don't realize the power of the prophetic word through art. And yeah. you can even have, I can have stuff without any words on it. And people just have this reaction to it. I have one, and it's another one that you can flip through my cover photos and see it, and it's of a tree. And that one was painted. I have my hairdresser asked me, she just moved into this new little mini salon. And so she's like, I want to have art in here, and I know you're an artist. Can you create pieces for in here so I can have beautiful art and you can have a gallery? People can come in and buy your stuff in here. And I said, okay, that's fun. So I went home, and I asked her two things. I said, okay, what colors do you like, and what kind of feel do you want for your salon? And she said, I like teal, and I like peace. (laughs) That's all she said. So I went home in the next couple weeks, and I started painting a teal canvas. And then I didn't like the color, so I put some water on it and started changing it. And then the paint started peeling off of it. And I'm like, oh, shoot, I just messed up this painting really bad. And so, and the Lord told me, just go with it. And I'm like, what? And he goes, peel the pieces off it and sand it down and just start painting. And so I'm like, okay, I didn't have a plan. So I just, I did what he said. I peeled pieces off of it and then I sanded them down and it gave it a really blotchy kind of look. And then I started just painting like streaks. And it ended up looking like a tree. 
And then I put words on it, you know, love, peace, different things. And then I finished it, and I looked at it, and I go, Lord, something's wrong with this painting. I think I don't think she'll like it. There's something missing. This is more my style than hers. I'm, like, making up all these things, right? So then he's like, put a bird on it. I'm like, all right, I'll put a bird on it. So I put a bird on it, and he said, now it's done. Take it to her. So my son and I, the next day, go to her salon, and I go, hey, I, I finished a painting, and if you don't like it for in here, I can do something else. And I show her the painting, and the girl bends over, like, like halfway down at the waist and starts wailing and tears were dropping on the floor. And my son's looking at me like, what'd you do? <laughs> and she goes, I love this painting and it has a bird on it. You have no idea what this means to me. And I go, no, I don't actually. Can you tell me? So she goes into this whole thing about her, her and her fiance, he just proposed to her, had been broken up for a while. And the whole reason they got back together was because she called him to tell him that someone came in her salon with a parrot on their shoulder, and he, she knew that he liked parrots, and it was a green parrot. And he said, no way. Somebody came into my office today, which was down by the beach, somewhere totally different from where we live, with a parrot on their shoulder, too, and it was green. And then they started talking again, and they got engaged right after that. She goes, you painted that parrot on this painting. <laughs> And she just completely freaked out, mm -hmm. and it was like, you have no idea. Whenever one of his family members had died, and whenever they're struggling, they see a green parrot. That's like their comfort. The green, I had no idea. I just painted it. That's great. And, and, and so it's like the, the arts speak so much that we have no idea what's going on if we just let it flow through us. And and so, but besides the art, you also have written. You're an author, and you yes. you have written great blogs. I love your blogs. Thanks. So how how did that? Because that's also part of that creativity. Were you doing that before the art, or did that no. kind of come at the same time? This is what happened with the writing. I was in a place in the ministry we were in where I was writing a lot of curriculum because we started a school of ministry. And we were writing all our own curriculum because we just sort of weren't satisfied with what was out there, even though there was a lot of great stuff. In fact, we used some of Larry Randolph's stuff in some of our training courses. But I was doing a lot of writing, and I was doing a lot of teaching, and I was doing a lot of preaching in those days. And my friends were like, um, where are you putting all this? And I'm like, what do you mean? They're all, well, you're preaching, you're teaching, you're writing curriculum, and you're putting stuff on your Facebook where are you keeping it, like, permanently? I'm like, um, everywhere, binders. And they said, why don't you start blogging? Why don't you start putting this stuff on a blog? And so a lot of what's on my blog now is just, like, stories and some teaching things, leadership stuff. I have a whole different stuff going on on there. But they're the one. My friends are the ones that said, you know what? You ought to be writing. Mm. And then people started inviting me to write as part of anthologies or different things. And so that kind of just came out of everywhere. It's like I would dream about stuff, and I would write it down, and then I'd share it with our leadership team. And they're like, um, here again, where are you putting this stuff? <laughs> so that's how the whole blogging thing started was that. Right. And blogging is, is such a great way. Like, um, 
I don't say I'm a writer. I just say I'm a very good secretary because I get all the stuff from, from daddy. I just get these downloads that he just gives me. And I just, I just write what he tells me to write. But there's such yeah. a, a freedom in, in actually getting it down and, and hitting that send button or hitting that publish button because it's, you don't know who it's going to affect and how it's going to affect someone, but especially if it's coming from a place of love, if it's coming from a place of nurturing, it's coming from a place of, of teaching, that, that it, it has a longevity to it and it has a life force behind it too. So it's not just like, you know, putting a silly post up. It's about giving somebody an idea or a thought that is going to start to change how they're seeing themselves or seeing others. And that's what I, I think is so great about the way that some people are, are blogging or posting stuff on Facebook. And now of course we have like the Periscope and the, and the video, are you going to be doing those things as well? People have been asking me to do that for a long time too. And I've been kind of avoiding doing that mm -hmm. for whatever reason, but I thought to myself, well, if Lisa will do it, maybe I should do it. <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, let me tell you, the the day that I did it was like, it it really, I was pushed out of that boat. I seriously was pushed out of the boat because I, did, I really didn't want to do it because my husband is a videographer by trade. So I, I have this idea of what video is supposed to look like. And, and I didn't want it to be amateurish and I didn't want it. I didn't want to make mistakes. And so I had all these fears that were keeping me from it. And then, then when the Lord gave me this idea and he showed me this vision of slaves in the field singing songs, I mean, it, I almost fell to my knees. I was at work and I saw the slaves. I literally saw that they're picking cotton in a field. I mean, I know that's so cliche, but that, and I could see the white shirt and I could see the arms and I could see the, the heat and I could see that there were families and they were all there but they were all singing. And that's when the Lord said to me that Lisa, that they're, they're, they're singing into their future. They're prophesying their future with song. And I, I was wrecked. I was wrecked. See, now you're speaking my language because I have this thing, my favorite all time person growing up, Harriet Tubman. <laughs> and so anything that has to do with Harriet Tubman, Underground Railroad, Martin Luther King Jr., any of that mm. stuff just messes me up. Slavery movies, yeah. Roots. I could watch Roots over and over and over. I'm just, I, it's my weird thing. So I understand that whole Underground Railroad, too, is a word that's been going around for quite a while, um, that there is an Underground Railroad, and it needs leaders. Yes. Because there are lots of slaves desiring to be set free, Yes. and they need people to lead the Underground Railroad. They need the resources, and there are people that have them. I think you have a lot of resources that people need to be set free. Well, it's, it was something, it's, it's definitely a heart cry of mine to see the captive set free. That's, that's my heart, is nobody should be in bondage. Because that's not what God, that, that's not who our daddy is. Our daddy is the freedom. And that's my heart cry is, and, that, and I think that's pretty much why I touch by prayer. I'm very careful about who I have on my show, because if it's someone who's going to keep people in prison, I, I can't, I can't have them on. Like I, I actually, I had somebody that I, before I heard this person speak, um, I was excited 
because this person wrote a book and I was like, great, you wrote a book and yes, I'd love for you to come on my show. And I told the person about my show and they agreed and it was wonderful. Then I heard the person speak and the person was speaking about forgiveness, but this person did not forgive. This person still had a ton of unforgiveness. And as I heard this person start to speak, I started shaking my head going, I can't have this person on my show. That was it. It was just like, no, I can't do it because that person actually, as they were speaking, put the entire, not well, yeah, pretty much the entire bunch of people who were listening to this person, put them back into bondage by, by this very simple, this very simple word. I am sick. And if God chooses to heal me, then I will be healed. But if he chooses not, then he will give me the strength to endure. And it crushed. That's what did it to me. I said, I can't and have that's it. So, see, that's one of my things, too, that I think as a leader, you you want to empower people. And then there's times when you, you see the power on someone's life and then something like that comes up and you're like, oh, they're not ready. Nope. Like, And, and you, as a leader, you feel a responsibility ability not to um, expose people to that kind of thing. Yep. Because just the mindset, and I've had this pet peeve for a long time, that if that prayer, if it's your will, Lord, that mm. prayer, mm. it's like that that's a pretty clear part of his will that it is his will to heal. But it's Jesus in, expressed that. He is yeah. the, he's the expression of healing. But that was the first question somebody said to him. The very first miracle that Jesus did when he healed the man with the feet. Yeah. He, he said, said I am willing. he said, if it's your will, he says it is. Yeah, that's pretty, his expressed will is no clearer than that. That's right. So, so for somebody to say, if it's your will, well, that's been answered because, and then, and you go back, you know, in Isaiah where it says that he was crushed for iniquity, bruised for our iniquities, you know, by his stripes, we are healed. Yep. Isaiah 53. It's one of my core favorite healing scriptures. It's all right there. Absolutely. Physical healing, inner healing, all of that stuff. And it also said, I came to, he said, I came to set the captives free. That was the whole purpose for Jesus to come was to get us free from the bondage of not being with the father when we die, because nobody went to heaven. They all went to Sheol before Jesus, because he had to descend <laughs> before he could ascend. Isn't that good? He took care of it all. It's we have to ask ourselves how big is our Jesus? He is so when big. When doubt creeps in, mm. we have to say how big is our Jesus then? What didn't he cover? That's right. And and, and how yeah, how I, arrogant of us when we think that anything he done has done was not good enough. Well, just like you were talking about Tony with this underground railroad. What I when I'm starting to see, you know, what one of the things that I spoke about on that particular periscope was a freedom train because that is that's the underground railroad that is and i saw that and i thought oh she's talking about that underground railroad yes right there yes (laughs) yes and it's like everybody needs to get aboard but see, there are, there, are, there are key people, like you were saying, there are such key people who are not dictated, they are, they're, they're, not, um, they're, not, uh, they're not affected, that's the word, they're not affected by what people say, they are only affected by what the Father says. Like they have turned a deaf ear to people, and they, and they, and they have their ear fixed and tuned to the Father. And if the Father says go, they go, and if the Father says sit, they sit. 
that's the diff. That's the season we're coming into because the Lord's really been talking to me that there is this shifting that's happening, especially with the prophets. Like the prophets are being raised up, but these are true prophets of God. These are the people who are, are called and are being sent, not the ones who thought and just went. Yeah. Because there is such a difference if you listen to the true heart cry of the father and then you listen to the heart cry of somebody who's just going. <laughs> Not because they were called, but because they feel that they're supposed to or because they want the whatever it is that they want. Their heart cry is not the same heart cry. They're in it for the glitz and the glamour. They're not in it for it. And the honest, the truth is, it's not glitzy and glamour. Oh, heck no. For a prophet at Heck all. no. If people, if people really understood, like seriously, if they truly understood the stuff, <laughs> like really? Like, this is not what I asked for. This, You know what? There are so many stories that happen behind the scenes. It's like, if I told people some of the stuff that's happened, mm-hmm. what people have said, what they believe, just the nonsense that goes on behind the scenes, people wouldn't believe it's true. I know. Absolutely. And you kind of have to laugh at it, really, because it's just so ridiculous, some of the things but, that people say. And this is what I've been trying to teach my mm-hmm. children all these years. I have grown children now, but I still have to really get it into their head a lot and and spiritual children also turn off the voices clear the clutter from your atmosphere because there's a lot of people with a lot of opinions that don't apply to you they don't know they don't know who you are they don't know what god has said to you they don't know who you are on the inside and so don't let people tell you who you are there's only one person who can tell you who you are and it isn't me and it isn't them it's Jesus. Not even ourselves sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes I have we, to tell myself, stop it. Well, that and stop that's the other thing. That's the other thing, too. We can get into this place where if we fix and focus on what the world is saying, we actually, the, the Lord was just talking to and It's so funny that you bring this up, Tony, because the Lord was just talking to me about this. Because I said, Lord, I said, you know, sometimes I hear you so clear. And then sometimes you kind of like drift off. Right. And he said to me, he goes, Lisa. When you're fixed and focused on me, you can hear me. He says, but the minute that you get distracted, it's almost like having, you know, the, um, the commercial for AT&T. Can you hear me? Can you hear me now? Yes. Can you hear me? He goes, you've moved. And so the frequency has dropped. (laughs) And I thought, I said, oh, okay. Now I get it. Now I understand because it's never him. It's always us. We're always the one who kind of drops the call. We're, we're the one who moves into the room where the reception is really, really bad. And we start, and the, or we start to worry. That's the other thing too. You know, the church worries so much. And, and it's funny because the Lord really talked to me about worry. And he said, Lisa, you can't be a worrier and be a warrior. You have to choose. Yeah. Pick so, a camp, sister. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm staking my claim right here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, the, and so, you know, that's the other thing too, Tony, you know, besides all these, the leadership, you also have that spiritual mama in you. Yes. And she's a mama bear that comes out once in a while. Heck yeah. Heck because, yeah. you know, it's that thing that they say Hitler's assistant said, you know, if you tell a lie long enough, people begin to believe it. Yes. Well, the same is true about the truth. If you tell the truth long enough, you'll begin to believe it. And so we have to reject what's not true, 
quit saying it over ourselves or receiving it from other people and choose to believe what's true and start to believe that and start to declare that and start to really meditate on what that looks like. Because at the end of the day, especially now with technology, you know, I was telling my kids, we barely had an answering machine. Our VCR had a cord on it. (laughs) And we didn't even have those till high school. That's right. You know, we had a phone. And when I was in high school, my dad created a switch where he could switch it off and no one could get through. It was like taking the phone off the hook. Oh, that's we brilliant. can isolate ourselves. Now there's Facebook, there's Twitter, there's yep. cell phones, there's Instagram. There's all these distractions. Yes. And yep. that's not okay. We have to limit our distractions or we won't get anywhere. That's true. And, you know, for kids, like this is because I, I have two teenage kids, you know, and they're in high school. And these kids in high school, we had a conversation you know, about all the stuff that's going on. And my, my kids were like, mom, you know, you were so judgmental and you were so this. And I said, no, I said, I really wasn't. If you listen to what I said, I said, I feel bad. And I said, and I feel that they just don't know their identity, but how could they, how could kids now know their identity when, when everything about them says, I don't know who you are. You, you decide who you are. There is no definite. It's not like you are this and this is who you are. It's like, well, do you feel like being this today or do you feel like being that today? Well, you could be this. Well, you can be that. You know, there's, there's no definite. There's no more role models. Role models are being washed away because they, they don't want to influence kids into making the decision-making process. But, you know, the Bible makes it very clear. You know, train up your child in the way that they should walk, Right. Yeah. It makes it very clear. You train up your children how they're supposed to be. You tell them who they are. You start to declare, just like you were saying, Tony, you start to declare everything that God has said about them, that they are created with a purpose, that there is a destiny for them, that they are a son or a daughter of the, of the living father, that he loves them with an everlasting love. Yes. That, that they have been called to do things. See, everybody has a calling. It's just that people haven't been told what their calling is. And I think that's some of the biggest frustration in the church. You know, there are, there are people who are, have a teaching, they have a natural gifting for teaching, who are put into a place of pastoring. But to be a pastor, you have to have a pastor's heart. To be a teacher, you don't need that. And I think that's why there's been so much confusion is that there are so many people who are being miscalled or they're just being placed and they're not being placed with, with prayer and with guidance and with the utterance of the Holy Spirit. Because I think when he says you are called to be a prophet, then you will walk into that office of a prophet and you will be able to do everything that God has called you to do. If you've been called to be a pastor, then he is going to give you everything that you need to be that pastor. And if you're yes. just called to be an evangelist, which everybody, let's, let's be honest, everybody's called to be an evangelist. Do you agree yes. with that? Yeah. I mean, everybody. Like, if you want to yeah. know, I, I don't know who I am supposed to be. I'm going to tell you, you're an evangelist. Preach the word of God. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you're supposed to do. Tell the good news. Tell people what God has done for you. That's what an evangelist does. And I think, too, sometimes people misunderstand calling with a position mm. because 
there have been people who've told me, well, you have no business doing this. You're not called to do that. And I'm in my head thinking, how do you know what I'm called to do? Exactly. And sometimes your calling is operating through a different framework. Like, okay, I was a, I was a pastor. I was a senior pastor. However, actually, functionally, how I functioned within that realm was a prophet apostle. Right. And that, that was kind of the blend that I had. People call you pastor because that's what Americans do. They call you pastor. But... Having said that, since I left my my pastoral role, and I'm no longer, I'm not even attending a church right now for lots of reasons, but... That we, we'll, we're going to have to talk about that because okay. there's a we lot of people... <laughs> yeah, I'm serious. <laughs> like, there are a lot of people right now who are without church. Have you noticed yeah, and, that? Yeah, and, and the thing is, too, what, what I was saying with that was just because I'm not in that position doesn't mean I don't function as a prophet and an apostle. Correct. And it's like we're, we're misidentifying calling versus position. And I think it's distracting a whole lot of people from being who they really are, especially when people in authority tell them they're not something, when really they don't have that authority to make that declaration right. over a person. And I think a lot of people are dis, disoriented with the whole church system because of those kind of things. Well, it's a lot of confusion. That's, it is a lot of confusion. That's the biggest problem is that it's, see, God is not a God of confusion. He makes things very, very clear. Some are called this, some are called that. And what's so cool about God, like it, because you operate in the prophet and the apostle, well, the thing about the, the prophet is the prophet hears from the Lord. The apostle, the apostle has all the, the fivefold, teacher, evangelist, preacher, you know, prophet that, so it's, it's everything. It encompasses everything, every gift. And so you can start off as an evangelist and from an evangelist become a preacher and from a preacher become a prophet or a, t- or a teacher and then a pro- uh, um, a preacher, then a prophet. I mean, you can move up the ranks, but God, it, you know, he made it very, very clear that he calls the prophet. Yeah. You know, and I, like I said before, you know, some people think, well, you know, I, I operate, we're all called to operate in the gift of the prophetic. Heck, there was a donkey that was used to tell somebody a word from God. <laughs> the scripture says all may prophesy. Yeah. You know, so that's, that doesn't qualify somebody as a prophet, but, no. and I'm not trying to, to hurt anybody or to dismiss somebody's calling, but unless the father has sat and talked to you and has really, because as a prophet, you were supposed to hear from God. So that's usually something he reveals to you first and then other people will confirm it. Absolutely. And that's, that's the thing when people have come to me and said, you're not supposed to be doing this. You're not called to do this. And I'm like, what? You think I just rolled out of bed one day and decided to do all this on my own? Like, who would want this? Nobody. Like, seriously. Yeah. If you saw the drama I saw on a daily basis when I was a pastor, nobody's got time for that. I'm just saying. It is hard, hard, heartbreaking, difficult work sometimes. You know, when a suicidal person shows up in your office and you sit with them for, you know, seven hours while the police come and social services come and you pray for them and hug them and cry with them, that's not an easy day. No. You know, it's not. But you know what? The love of the Father is so strong that I couldn't help but comfort the hurrying. Right. And and that's going back to what I said earlier was about the heart cry of the Father. Yeah. His heart. And what does love look like? That's right. 
That's right. I think we need to take a better love walk. Yes. You know, we're all called. Oh, this is so good. How about this, Tony? We are all called to love and to be love and to show love and to give yeah. love. Yeah. That's, and that's what counts at the end of the day. That's exactly how, what counts. How well have we loved? That's right. So if you want to know what you're called to do, you're called to love. Yeah. I think that pretty much sums it up. <laughs> pretty much. Right? Because if yeah. there is no love... What's the point? What's mm. the point? There is none because people could be beat up every single day. So what are we going to do? We're just going to beat them up with the Bible. No, we have to love them. <laughs> it's ever so helpful, isn't it? To just smack somebody upside the head with, with the, the Bible. Bible. <laughs> Can you? Hey, you know what? I, I have had, I have had my share of, of being slept upside the head with the Bible, not in the physical sense, but definitely in an emotional and verbal sense. <laughs> Me too. Right? And it's enough is enough. Yeah. So that's it. I think that is that is everybody's calling to be love and to walk in love and to give love. That's it. And if you don't know how to love, sit and spend some time with Daddy. He'll teach you all about love. Let him love you first. Yeah. Yeah. Because look at what he's done with you. You are awesome. You are beautiful. I mean, you are super talented full of wisdom, full of compassion. I actually see you, Tony, like at some point, I don't know if it's soon, but I actually see you like helping um, prostitutes. I feel like that's part of your calling as well is to find the women who have been abused and, um, and have been mistreated and, and are put into prostitution. And I, I can see that for you at some point that that might be something you might actually want to do kind of with Patricia King, you know? So, um, because you have such a mama's heart and these girls need, need a mama. Yeah, I, I did do some human trafficking, um, anti-human trafficking things, um, in our region for a while while I was pastoring, but then things happened with my own family. And this is part of why I resigned from pastoral ministry. You know, number one, I had a company that we started that took off and it needed my attention but really, my own daughter became pregnant as a teenager, and um, I felt that God was calling me back home, back to family and business, to really go back, because I was a stay-at-home mom for 19 years, raising my own children. And then now I have a granddaughter who's living in my home with my daughter. Um, there's, the father's not involved at all. And so my husband and I are sort of co-parenting with her at this point, which is such an honor and a treasure. I can't even tell you, but those are part of those things may come back. But for this time, right now, I'm ministering to my family Absolutely. and my employees, actually, because, you know, what, what's inside of you, what you're called to do doesn't leave you. Mm. So wherever you are, right now I'm in business. My, I have about 30 employees. Uh, my company grew really fast in four years. And we're doing the same things really with our employees that we did with our ministry. We're discipling people. We're training and equipping people. We are giving them, you know, providing for their families. We're ensuring that they have insurance and 401Ks, and we're taking care of people in ways like in construction. You don't really see that a lot, but we made a decision that family is first, and we consider our company family. And so those are the things that are taking up my time these days and why I'm not in church, actually, because I felt like the Lord took me out because he knows me, and I'll throw all my everything into the local church like I had done, when really he's calling me to 
be the church in my own family, in my own company right now. And so there's a whole lot that goes along with that. Well, and having that big uh, business of 30 people, that, that's, that's no small potatoes. That's it's a, not. Yeah, <laughs> and this was people. like, okay, I can't run a nonprofit and a corporation yeah. at the same time and help raise a child and, you know, be a wife, which is my primary role. Right. As a woman is being a wife to my husband, you know, before kids, before everything. That's primary. That's maybe that's why I stayed married for 26 years, because I made that a priority. Family is a priority. And I think that's also something that the church is starting to come back to. I think that we're slowly starting to see the importance of family, because I think that's the father's heart, too is to get the families connected because there's been such a disconnect. And there is, there, if your family is strong and in love, then you're able to show that to other people and they can see you guys modeling what a family looks like because there are so many people who don't know what family looks like and they need to have that visual. And there was a lot of pressure too, like, well, why are you doing that? You sh- you're gifted. You're, you're going to be like Joyce Meyer. You need to promote yourself. You need to do- and I'm like, actually, that's a- the exact opposite of mm-hmm. what God is speaking to me right now. Mm-hmm. And so it's like I had to really listen to his voice in the whole thing and not be persuaded. Because even still, I get people messaging me saying, please come back. You know, you're needed. You're wanted. You're so valuable. The church is missing out, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, but my my family is missing out. Yeah. Like they have to be my priority and they always have been. And this is how I've had to rearrange everything to follow God in that. Cause he asked me, what's the best use of your time and your love right now? And that well, was for your granddaughter. It's, and yes, your daughter. it's like, okay. Yeah. And I wrote a blog about this. It's like, if we're going to be pro-life, yeah. What happens when the rubber meets the road? Mm. I quit everything and start helping my daughter raise a baby. Mm. <laughs> that's that's and she's, pretty much what it boils down to. And she's beautiful, by the way. She Thank is you very just much. adorable. Oh, my gosh. She is just scrumptious. That's <laughs> a treasure. And what an honor to be able to do that. And what an honor for your daughter to allow you to do that. Exactly. And that's, it, I mean, there are things that aren't easy. Yeah. And yeah. not just, but this is what families do. Absolutely. This is what love looks like within the family. So you're and doing, a lot of us miss out on it. Well, you do the love walk so beautifully. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> and this Sometimes is, I'm like, I quit. I, everybody leave me alone. <laughs> I'm done. I, I've, had, I've had those days. I'm like, that's it. I'm done. I'm, I'm handed in my keys. <laughs> <laughs> Give me my coloring books. And some popcorn and leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. And put me in my pajamas. I just need I'm to I'm just say. keeping it real here, everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But Tony, Sometimes this... what love looks like is letting mom go upstairs and take a hot bath and put candles on and color and do word searches. <laughs> there you go. So every, and everybody needs a little bit of love. So this has just been so awesome, Tony. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. I think we've run over our time. That's okay. It's daddy's time anyway. So <laughs> it, it's like, yeah, the last, it's, a, it's fine, you know, because I, I did tell you that I felt like we were going to talk about motherhood. Yes. So, because I felt it was very important. And it's such a big topic. We'll mm. have to talk again. Yes. I would love for you to come back. Sure. 
Cool. Then we'll definitely make that a date. So I hope that you um, have enjoyed this time uh, hearing Tony's heart and hearing all her stories and more importantly, listening to the message about being called. Because I think that we kind of uncovered it. Wouldn't you say, Tony? Yeah, I think so. I think so. So if you guys want to check out more of Tony, you can go to TonyImson.com. You can check out her blogs. You can also check out her artwork. And you know what? You can also leave her a message and tell her how much you were inspired by listening to her. So thank you so much, Tony. Thank you for coming on uh, Touch by Prayer. I hope you guys enjoyed this. I hope that you have been blessed. Go out and love somebody. Go grab people. Share the love. Be the love. And remember to go out and touch someone. Good night.